To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry from the Social Isolation Studio in Long Beach, <laughs> California, speaking with the man who's in the hottest city on earth these days, <laughs> North Hollywood, California, my good friend, Dr. Carl Totten. Hello. Here we are in the midst of the heat wave, and not to mention the smoke and fires. <laughs> oh, you know, I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and it's like right now in California, we've got you've got a, a pandemic going on, and then there's been terrible wildfires, so the outside is very smoky and ashy and everything. And a couple of days ago, I'm talking to my neighbor, and he says, "You know, an earthquake's gonna happen next." You know, <laughs> and, and it was two nights ago. Boom, twelve <laughs> midnight. Earthquake shook the house. I, 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 we texted each other back and forth. Uh, yes. To them. Yes. I was actually teaching my uh, instructor's class when it happened, and we all stopped and said, uh-oh, is this the big one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fortunately not. Why? It's funny. I was, I was in my front room, and my front room has these big doors that open up onto like our front lawn. And my dog just went, went right for the door. And, then, uh, and so I was like, oh. My my dog ran out, and so then I said, you know, I'm going to get into the, the door jam, because that's what they usually say. Now, the door jam was right, it was uh, uh, the, the patio door, so I'm standing in the door jam, and I'm like, why don't I just walk outside? <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing can get me there. But, so, yes, as the disasters rage on in California, we are still here fulfilling our needs. And on today's show, we're going to talk about uh, the Taoist opinions of a controversial psychologist Jordan Peterson. We are also going to go through some listener mail, and we're going to talk about the um, uh, chapter 78 of the Tao Te Ching. Now, the, first of all, this show is brought to you from the Michael Donovan Studios right now. Um, we had a listener who donated to the show, and... I was joking one day saying um, we should sell naming rights to the studio like people do on, you know, sports stadiums. Uh, you know, that's why you'll have a baseball team playing at, like, Citibank Field or whatever. And uh, so a, a listener donated. Thank you very much to everyone who has, to the growing list of wonderful people. And uh, he asked to um, call the, the studios the Michael Donovan Studios. So today... We are live from the Michael Donovan's <laughs> studios. Uh, very nice. Yes. Uh, so, and obviously anybody out there listening, if you donate $35 to us, you get an unreleased episode and three 
guided meditations by Dr. Carl Totten, which is over like it's like two and a half hours worth of the best content you'll ever hear in your life. Um, and you could do that by going to our website, whatsthisdow.com. So Jordan Peterson, for those who do not know who he is, uh, has been called one of the most important public intellectuals in America. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto uh, who wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. And I guess he became super popular when he started weighing into the kind of, um, called the culture wars that we have in America where, you know, he was talking, he said some controversial things about gender and um, has kind of strident opinions about lots of the kind of far left people on um, college campuses and kind of far left academia and has kind of been, I guess you'd call it a, like a free speech advocate, which I think everybody, personally, I'm stridently believe in free speech. But um, <laughs> he, especially for what we're doing, right? And, and but, but also has been kind of uh, calls people who are on the far left, calls them Marxists and people subjecting themselves to postmodern thinking. And I think a lot of people critique the way he uses the term Marxist and postmodern. So... There's kind of part of him that's the culture war thing where he's supported by kind of right-wing elements. Um, but there's also uh, part of him that as a psychologist. I just came to him because I saw a video on parenting that he did that I thought was fantastic about how um, as someone raised by a mother and a single parent, he made, he, he made this long discussion about uh, kind of the positive masculine traits in parenting uh, for fathers and the importance of kind of physical play with children. And I just thought it was mm-hmm. wonderful. So then I, then I watched another video where he's talking to Russell Brand about 12 st- step programs that I thought was really great. And uh, I learned a lot. And then, then you go to like the fourth video and he's like, I don't know, screaming about Marxism. You're like, oh God, I don't know. But so yeah, the guy's a mixed bag personally, I think. So there's, I'm sure there's people listening right now. They're like, oh my God, I totally dislike Jordan Peterson and some people that totally love him. And we're not here to praise or promote it's just he talks a lot about Taoism in his uh, like in his books and in um his speeches that are available online and so i thought well okay uh if he has such a lo- massive audience of people that are into him um everything he does is goes massively viral online that mm-hmm. we should uh take what we know which is the Taoist aspects and say hey is this guy promoting something that is in line with the teachings of Lao Tzu and Changsa and Taoist scholars, and most importantly you, Dr. Carl Totten, uh, if he's talking the true Tao, <laughs> or we should push back and go, look, no, Jordan Peterson, you, are, you do not know what this Tao is all about. <laughs> you know, and, and most people who aren't actually educated uh, in classical Taoism and or, you know, from a philosophical perspective or from a more spiritual or practical perspective in the sense that they've studied Taoist um, traditions and arts and and practice. In other words, it's embedded in who they are, you know, how they think, how they feel, how they process reality. Most people who who kind of take a more intellectual uh, take on the Tao tend to be all over the place. You know, they tend to get some of it right some of it wrong, you know, and whatever kind of, you know, that, you know, the thing about confirmation bias, 
whatever confirms their their biases they'll highlight that part <laughs> and, and neglect then, the other and yeah. neglect the other or or not even see the other not even perceive it it's not it doesn't it's not even on their radar and one of the things about what the Tao really is about is uh, being aware of that that so that we can kind of check ourselves you know the the Taoist immortals said that the you know the key, you know Lu Tong Pin one of the eight immortals you know his primary kind of method for growth was what he called turning the light around mm. you know can you perceive re- yourself as the part of reality and by being open to and aware of how you are processing reality in terms of how you are receiving and expressing yin and yang to that extent you might say that you are an aware a wiser human being, and uh, it's that's very difficult to do, because most people don't really know how to get outside of their heads enough to actually turn the light around and see themselves as they actually are. That's actually one of the really good reasons for going to a therapist and talking every now and then, even if there's nothing quote wrong with you. You know, you aren't diagnosable in the DSM, but just to kind of just go every now and then and just have a, a someone else. Who, who's been trained as an observer of human behavior to give you some feedback as to how you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're coming across, to give you some a more balanced perspective, I think is healthy. Okay, well, with that, so here's Jordan Peterson talking about yin and yang. We told you about this, but we'll go over it just briefly again because it's very important. So this is the Taoist symbol. That symbol is Tao. Tao essentially means meaning but it also means the way, it means a bunch of things. And Tao, for the Taoist, is what things are made of. It's, what, it's, it's the underlying reality of things. And for the Taoists, that's more like meaning than it is like material. Or in so, another way you could think about it is more like information than it is like material. And so the Taoists think that, 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 that experience, you can't say reality because it's not the same conception, that experience is meaningful. And that the meaning is the primary reality. And the meaning differentiates itself as it emerges. And it differentiates itself first into masculine and feminine, essentially, into the structure that you use to perceive reality, that's culture. And what it is that you're perceiving, and that's nature. And that, that it's a lovely conception. It's different than the way people look at the world in the modern world. But it's, it's, it's parallel. And I think it's... If not more useful, it's certainly equally useful because it, it helps you understand and, and, and articulate elements of your own experience that can't be understood from a framework that has a different underlying structure. So you know that sometimes you're comfortable and that things are going well for you. And you know that sometimes all hell's broken loose and you've fallen through the ice and you're dazed and confused and maybe you won't get up again. And you know that those are two different places and that you'd rather be in the former than the latter. And you also know that there's certain ways that you should act to make sure that you stay where it's comfortable and interesting rather than wandering off to where it's like terrible beyond belief. Now, you could call that in some sense your innate sense of morality. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of intelligence, but it's, it's deeper than that. And as I said in the other class, the other thing that's lovely about the Taoist interpretation is that it's the interplay between these two things that constantly brings reality forth, 
and that if you balance them properly, which is the aim of a properly religious life from the Taoist perspective, then you have all the benefits of what you understand and what you're, and what you're familiar with, order, and then you have the excitement of having one foot in the unknown. And that's a perfect place for human beings to be, because not only do we want to stay with what we are and conserve it if it's good, but we want to continually transform it so that it gets better and better and better. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting... You were talking about how it's like the known and unknowns, and sometimes people, unless they're really mired in the Tao, will project their own beliefs onto it and and not realize what they don't know. And it's kind of funny. In his speech, he's just saying that we we keep to what we know, but also because like the yin and yang explains to us that there's a whole unknown facet to it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and some of the things that he said there I, I think were, were, were pretty you know right on. You know, the, the, this dynamic between yin and yang and how each one actually has an element uh, of the other. And, and that dynamic balance between the two is what allows us to kind of uh, process uh, a fuller reality and then extract some meaning from it. They also talked about the dip, the, the, this interplay between uh, material and experience. And that certainly kind of resonates with me uh, as a Taoist. Um, because, you know, Lao Tzu, I think, was really spending a lot of uh, his um, uh, energy describing uh, the, the importance of being able to experience things directly uh, and, and in contradistinction to kind of what was happening, I think, in China at the time where there was a lot more, you know, order was trying to be imposed uh, to... Uh, fr- almost have a framework from which the material and 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 people's communication and relationships with each other could be structured. Yeah, because mm-hmm. remember that was kind of a feudal days, uh, right? Where you you know you had these are the days of emperors and uh, uh, the agrarian societies, and so you know those who controlled the land and property. Kind of controlled everything, <laughs> you know. They, you yeah. know who, who's going to eat and who's not going to eat, you know. You know, and so and and so Taoism became known also as kind of a nature philosophy, right? A nature mm-hmm. religion, if you will, because you know, it, you know, we talk about the seasons of the year and uh, when can you harvest things and how things grow in nature in the universe, and so I think Lao Tzu's observations about how all of that works together both in the collective, in the universe, in nature, and also in each individual human being as being a part of that nature, I think it's foundational to understanding the practices of the Tao. Uh, I have another clip here where uh, Jordan Peterson talks about uh, order and chaos. He, He equates order with yang energy, which we, you know, we see as, you know, tends to be seen as like male, masculine energy, and he sees the yin energy as more chaotic. I think more from the Taoist perspective in the yin and yang, it's more of not chaos, but um, like you would have order and then you would have the kind of naturalness of things, which is not chaotic because there's a natural order that the Taoists posit, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you lived in a world where you thought that everything was a controlled by, say, a god or an authoritarian figure, 
then you would have order versus chaos and not necessarily human in place order versus natural order. Mm-hmm. And I think here he's equating um, yin energy with, with, with chaos instead of the fact that there is a natural order to things. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's listen to the man's words and talk about it. Dominated. So now the yin-yang symbol is interesting for a variety of other reasons too because um, the Taoists believe that that symbol represents being. Now being is not the same thing as objective reality. Being is what you experience as a conscious creature. That's being. And for the Taoist, being is made up of these two elements, order and chaos. And the reason for that is quite straightforward. The reason for that is wherever you go, and whenever you live, and whoever you are, each environment that you're in is composed of things you understand, and things that work the way you expect them to, and things you do not understand, and that can, be, that can pull the rug out from you at any moment. And so you can say in some sense that these symbolic representations are representations of the most unchanging elements of being. So the most real things, because you know, a typical modern person will look at this and think, well those aren't real, it's like, they are real, in fact they're hyper real. Because one of the things that defines real is that it's permanent. And it is permanent, no matter where you go there are things you know and things you don't know. And it doesn't matter who you are, it's permanent. So it's part of the existential landscape of human being. Now the other thing that's, there's two other things that are quite cool about the yin yang symbol and one is that the, each of the, the black paisley has a little white dot in it and the white paisley has a little black dot in it and the reason for that is the Taoists also recognize quite well that chaos could turn to order at any moment you know, so a new order can arise out of a chaotic structure that's like a, that's a revolution in some sense but by the same token if you're in a place that's orderly and predictable, something can happen that casts you into a chaotic situation right away. So there's a dynamic, even though these two things oppose each other in some sense, there's a continual dynamic interplay between them. And then the final thing that's quite interesting about this symbol, and this is a mind-bogglingly brilliant idea, is that, because Tao also means the way, and the way is the line between the two. And so what that indicates is, this is a brilliant idea, is that the optimal position for a human being isn't in chaos or in order because if it's too much order then it's totalitarian and if it's too much chaos then it's disgust and fear and emotional pain and depression so where's the proper place? and the Taoist answer is right on the line where you have one foot in order so that you're fairly stable and you have another foot in chaos so that new and interesting and compelling and transforming things are happening to you and one of the things that you might note is that your nervous system basically tells you when you're there and the way it tells you is by making you interested in whatever it is that you're engaged in because the fact that the thing that you're engaged in grips you which is really an unconscious process, you can't really control that, it's something that happens to you is because your nervous system which is actually adapted to the environment of chaos and order is telling you that if you're engaged and interested, you are at, in the place where the balance between chaos and order is, pro- is perfect. All right, Dr. Totten, your thoughts, chaos and order. Yeah, that's an, uh, an interesting way to frame uh, one's understanding of yin and yang, chaos and order. Uh, and, you know, is that one way to frame these uh, the dynamic interplay 
as life as we experience, uh, it probably is. Uh, you know, certainly it's one of the ways that uh, some others have done, and clearly uh, Jordan Peterson is doing in this clip. Um, another way, however, uh, that uh, might provide some uh, another reference point for some meaning is, you know, yin really refers to being more receptive being open to the possibility of new things, including perhaps the unknown. And then yang is the capacity to then, once we have been recipients of our own perception and perspective, then the capacity for expression of same. So uh, the, the person of Tao is receptive, on one hand, because that's as human beings, we're always taking things in. All life forms are taking things in, you know, sunlight, water, air, and nutrients, and then expressing that in such a way. And, but the unique way in which each individual or each organism expresses itself is its Tao. Mm -hmm. That's its way. And it's this interplay between receptivity and expression that is then balanced by each individual's way of expressing that in the world. <clears throat> and, and it's interesting, you know, that in his perspective, you know, he's framing that as order and chaos. Is there order within chaos? Is there chaos within order? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah? yeah, I think he kind of points uh, that out where he's pointing out the... The white dot and the black dot that are within the yes, reverse, you know. Exactly, exactly. See, so <clears throat> that, that is, uh, I think, a valid way of describing this, you know, particularly, I think, to a, you know, a general audience that may not. Uh, and, and so I, I, I don't fault him, you know, for, for doing so. I, I just want to point out that's not the only w frame from which to perceive the Tao. Uh, yeah, well, the I mean, with with the Tao, I mean, there's infinite <laughs> frames, right? <laughs> and that's why I said it's interesting to see what frame does someone gravitate towards, because that may tell us more about them than about the Tao sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you're if you're a frame that you immediately go into is order versus chaos, yeah. How are you? What are you projecting? Yeah, onto the world. You know, you know? My, my Taoist teacher, you know, he was a Taoist priest from China. He was a Taoist master of Kung Fu and meditation and Qigong and uh, you know, herbs and so many things. You know, he said this one day, which I thought was profound. He said, what a person sees and pursues reveals their true face, mm. their true heart, if you will. And so by by observing what how a person processes reality and then as a result of that how they you know in other words how their their yin how they take it in and then their yang how they express themselves reveals a lot about who they are as a human being you know i've also heard that the best way to find out someone someone's priorities is to take a look at their bank statement <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I do like what he talks about in there about how he's like, you know, our nervous system creates interest when we are confronted by these chaotic elements, because when we when we are kind of in order, 
and we know what's going to happen throughout the day. You know, we, we tend to kind of shut off a bit, right? But when something chaotic, something new, uh, something, uh, you know, yeah, something that shakes things up immediately, our, our mind gets focused on it, you know, the, the new and different mm-hmm. thing. Now, you know, how we react to that depends on what that thing is, you know. Right, and, and a lot is whether or not we perceive it as a potential threat or not. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to lead to anxiety and then perhaps even trigger the uh, autonomic n- nervous system, right? The, you, know, the, you know, the stress response. Because if it's a threat to survival, then the sympathetic nervous system, kind of the, the, the part that's going to move into fight or flight or freeze, is triggered. And we, f- we begin to feel uh, very defensive. And, and we have a heightened uh, threat response in our physiology. Uh, but at the same time, by the way, that causes the prefrontal cortex, the thinking part and the creative part, to narrow. You know? And so uh, be- because the threat to, to survival is first. And, mm. and so we can't actually think that clearly when that's triggered. And that's one of the very important reasons why the Taoists emphasize meditation so much because if we can modulate that part of our nature better, then the creative part and the thinking, the intelligent part of our brain expands and it comes online, whereas when it's under threat to the system, that part goes offline. I mean, you can actually see that in uh, someone hooked up to instruments in a lab for psychological experiments. Put someone under threat, and their prefrontal cortex, the thinking and creative part, goes right offline. I've noticed this, that since I developed like a, a daily meditation habit, that, that I tend to be a lot less led around by like my emotions and you know, thrown off by, I guess, what we'd call a chaotic event, or someone says something out of left field that upsets you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like you have a much more, I guess, zen-like ability to kind of confront that mm-hmm. and, and to, to filter it appropriately and to kind of cast it away if it really isn't anything you need to necessarily pay attention to, but instead, you know, instead of your, your limbic system reaction, reacting to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, the emotional brain, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so well, that was a little bit on Jordan Peterson. Uh, let's v- see here. Very, there's, there's very interesting. Yeah, there, there's more out there on him and Taoism, and you know, if there's some kind of reaction and people want to hear more about it, we could do it. But if not, we will move on. Um, and this is a uh, listener. Let me get his name here. Named Trevor. So Trevor writes in. Uh, saying, there's a lot of talk in Taoism and in this podcast about humans violating the Tao or violating their nature. I see most of human civilization, art, science, technology, and even something like genetic engineering as natural expressions of humanness. In your eyes, what specific modern things do humans do that violate nature slash the Tao? Can other animals violate the Tao too? Mm-hmm. Humans are an animal part of nature, so if humans are able to act outside the Tao, that is, behave against nature, but other animals cannot, what makes humans special? How are we able to violate the Tao itself when it, it is the whole? If other animals are able to violate the Tao, then why do we say human behaviors are violations instead of a natural part of the process, too? 
I think that all the things humans are doing right now are natural for humans, but I admit I also think a great imbalance in how we're doing it. Why are we able to create that imbalance as a species if not an intentional, natural part of the process that leads us to where we need to go? I think there are easier, more aligned, and less easy, less aligned paths. But to say these things, these less aligned actions are violations, confuses me. That's from Trevor. So, Dr. Uh-huh. Carl Totten, so how, how do we act against the Tao when the Tao is kind of the entirety of existence? Aren't we already always in that Tao and can't escape it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you think about everything that you think, feel, and experience, and that, of course, is part of the totality of all that is, all part of the Tao. However, are there some aspects of, the, of your nature that you uh, <laughs> might rather keep uh, 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 kind of low-key and other parts you want to broadcast. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> you definitely. Know? See, see wisdom, wisdom is also part of the Tao. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I said to uh, Trevor, I said, of course, you know, thank you for listening to the show and your great questions. And they really were really great questions. Because, you know, when it comes to human nature and the Tao, as you mentioned there a second ago, Todd, the answers are multidimensional and, and nuanced. So obviously, great violence is a part of human nature, violence towards other humans, towards animals, and towards the environment, especially when greed is involved. Now, since they all exist, they are parts of hum- human nature, but are they in alignment with the highest ethical principles of the Tao? Part of learning spiritual, philosophical, and you know, similar studies is really learning how to transcend the lower, more base aspects of human nature and aspire towards more elevated domains. Uh, so learning to be more kind-hearted, more generous, and more loving would transcend being selfish, egotistical, and greedy, for example. Just because something, quote, comes natural to someone doesn't make it right. The, you know, there are different levels to reality and where we are now within the polarized uh, bilateral third dimension and we're attached to things and the ego is not the uh, energetic level we want to perpetually remain attached to. Letting go of that and finding a more fluid capacity moving towards the greatest good for all, humans, animals, the environment, is the way of what I call the greater Tao. These higher domains involve wholeness, balance, unity, consciousness, and love. You know, the capaci- this capacity is one of the things that allows us to evolve beyond where other biological animals may not be able to. Of course, most animals are not cruel and evil just for the sake of being cruel and evil like some humans are. <laughs> so while you know, we need to accept things as they are to some extent, we always allow the path, the Tao, to evolve towards the, the greater Tao. So what do we do? You know, we do reading, we do self-study, we do discussion like we're having today, we do meditation. You know, these are all useful tools to enhance this evolution. And I think that it's important to be able to have some sort of methodology within ourselves to be able to kind of more dispassionately examine uh, this 
to this domain, this territory between, again, this capacity for good and for evil, which certainly exists in every human being. And that's one of the th uh, reasons why I also recommended that uh, Trevor, um, you know, get those uh, three guided meditations I do, um, you know, that we offer. Because, again, by so doing, you know, we're able to kind of let go of our usual attachment to thinking and to uh, the, the ego part of, of oneself. And when we kind of aren't attached to things, you go into a state that the Taoists refer to as the void. And some of the Hawaiian shamans call being at zero, you know, where, where you're kind of beyond attachment. Because once you get to that point, then our, our, you might say our higher self, which is really in direct contact with the greater Tao, can kind of download that into consciousness. And then that becomes how we are able to experience the world and express ourselves at the highest creative level. Uh, in the world. So I said to him, you know, thank you for approaching your study with such enthusiasm, Trevor. Uh, we really appreciate it. And now, Dr. Totten, you're talking about that point where we kind of relinquish a lot of attachment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk, you're just kind of talking about it there from kind of a, a psychological, you know, social, personal uh, angle. But then also, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that the continued practice of meditation ends up putting your brain in that point of greater attachment because uh, being in attachment is kind of the lower point, like the um, default, what was it, the default um, part of the brain, the, 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 the part where we ruminate, where you're sitting there, you're mulling things around, and mm -hmm. where you've... You're, you're, you're thinking about how someone slighted you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and meditation actually takes you out of that state of attachment. Yeah. Know, because w w that, I think, you know, we, we get, human beings get trapped in that part of um, the emotional brain, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the limbic system, the amygdala. And then, be, and then because a person, a human being is feeling so emotionally riled up consciously or subconsciously, their thoughts become uh, tend towards rumination, uh, obsessive compulsive thinking, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and then the two begin to play off of each other. The obsessive compulsive thinking triggers more of the emotional being stirred up, and the emotional stirred up triggers more of the obsessive-compulsive rumination, and then you have this dynamic interplay between two kind of neg negative forces, you know, that propel a person into their own kind of personal little hell. <laughs> and uh, as a psychologist, of course, I deal with this every day. That's why people are coming to see me, because they're, they're trapped in a state of being that they don't know how they got into, and they certainly don't know how to relinquish that attachment and move and, and, and move forward in their lives. And I think through meditation, it just shows you that there's another side to the coin. Exactly. You know, and, unless you really go and do that, do that time with your uh, butt on the mat, as they say, or the way I do it, naked after coming out of the shower and on a towel in the bathroom, <laughs> uh, and you get you get a glimpse into that other world, and you get a glimpse of that experience, and then slowly you start to realize that that you are ruminating. Yeah, I, I just unless gotta... you work out that side <laughs> of the brain, 
and that side of experience, you don't even know it exists, and you think that that default mode that you're stuck in is just reality. Exactly, because that's all. That's all. That's what you know. Yeah. And, and human beings, uh, you know, conditioning and ha habituation, habit patterns, are what guide the vast majority of people from beginning to the end throughout their entire life. That becomes the entire scope of reality for most people. Much of what a Taoist attempts to do, much of what I attempt to do as a psychologist and a priest and a healer, a teacher, is to move people beyond the parameters of that. It's kind of like you know, horse going through life with the blinders on. Right? Mm -hmm. And so all, all that the horse perceives is just what's right in front of them. Uh, and that narrowing of focus becomes what limits and narrows us as human beings in life. And we never really find that, in, that ultimate interior spark of who we really could be evolving to. Remember, the universe is completely unlimited. Every conceivable and unconceivable, inconceivable possibility is actually part of the great Tao. And yet, how many of us are able to really expand into that domain and feel really renewed and refreshed day by day by day over a lifetime? I, I would state relatively few of us. It's what you call a, a, a waking up, an awakening. Yes. Yes, something that I was blessed to have happen to me at 19 years of age. Oh, nice. <laughs> that, would, that sounds like a really good indie flick they should make, The Awakening of Dr. Carlton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I found I had my great awakening in 1997 in April in a desert in California <laughs> at a rave for the Hale-Bopp Comet uh, out near Joshua Tree. And I've wow. never been the same since. And that was the same week that I, a friend gave me this book called The Tao of Pooh. Interesting. And I Interesting. had a, I had a uh, natural awakening in the uh, desert and then also had this book that actually, if I hadn't read the book before the awakening, there wouldn't have been an awakening, hmm. right? But as we'll talk about that on another show. And I'm guessing you probably had some, uh, shall we say, chemical assistance out there, too. <laughs> yeah, somebody slipped me a piece of paper that I traded for a uh, flashlight in the desert. And things changed in about an hour and a half. And music got real good. <laughs> and the music of the universe got real good. And then these people in the hills started talking to me that weren't that looked like the Gnome King in Return to Oz. <laughs> it was a whole thing, Dr. Carl. You should have been there. Should have been there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so we're going to finish off this show as we do with the chapter of the Tao Te Ching. And for those of you who are new listening to the show, uh, Taoism, there's basically a kind of two uh, books that are the founding documents of it. One is the Tao Te Ching, allegedly written by Lao Tzu. Uh, also known as the way and its power, which is a series of, I guess it's almost like poems mm -hmm. um, that describe the different aspects of Taoism. And then there's another book called the Changsa, which is a little more of a prose that came about 300 years later. Mm -hmm. So we've been slowly going through the Tao Te Ching on this show, and we're gonna we're up to chapter 78 of 81. Um, so I guess I'll mm -hmm. read this here. 
Oh, and by the way, to that list of foundational texts in Taoism, I would add the I Ching to the mm-hmm. book, the Book of Change. Yes, I always, I always leave <laughs> change on the side because change is hard, <laughs> Doctor Todd. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I don't want to look at that. Uh, let's see. Here. And here so, we are in the midst of uh, the most uh, intense change in, in, in our of our lifetimes right now. <laughs> and so uh, I'm I'm uh, saying that. Oh, sorry, folks. We got to look at change right now. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, change has just been forced on everyone. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, not, it's not like you know when I wake up on a Sunday morning after a, a bad Saturday night and think you know I got to change my life. This was. <laughs> Oh, the world just changed. You've got to react to it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, the Taoists say that the only constant in life is actually change. Mm-hmm. Mm. Boy, do we know. But I would, you know, I would die, Dr. Dr. Carl Totten, just to have one day <laughs> that wasn't like the days have been. Yeah, where we could just chill. <laughs> yeah, you know, walk, you know. Kind of literally, because it's been so hot. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> so that being said, uh, we're going to learn how to best enact change through this chapter of the Tao Te Ching that tells us to, um, like Bruce Lee said, be like water. So I got a real quick clip of the master. I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup. It becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow. Be water, my friend. Mm-hmm. Nice. There's also an opposite version where Brad Pitt's character from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> says something different. No. Uh, yes, that was a great Bruce Lee. So, chapter 78. Under heaven... Nothing is more soft and yielding than water. Yet, for attacking the solid and strong, nothing is better. It has no equal. The weak can overcome the strong. The supple can overcome the stiff. Under heaven, everyone knows this. Yet, no one puts it into practice. Therefore, the sage says, He who takes upon himself the humiliation of the people is fit to rule them. He who takes upon himself the country's disasters deserves to be king of the universe. The truth is often seen as paradoxical. (laughs) You know, throughout the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu refers to water. uh, Because, you know, there's nothing softer, more pliable, more yielding. Yet, at the same time, there's nothing more full and relentless over time. Talk about embodying yin and yang. <laughs> In fact, things like water and wind are actually the most resilient. Their gentleness kind of allows them to accommodate any force and through non-resistance blend with and flow, thus neutralizing resistance and turning adversity into strengths. Notice also Lao Tzu's guidance for leaders. You know, quote, he who takes upon himself the humiliation of the people is fit to rule them. He who takes upon the country's disasters deserves to be the king of the universe. You know, notice how this assumption of responsibility is far different from a leader who says he takes no responsibility for anything. A stark contrast indeed. You know, yeah, it's kind of like if you look at um, 
the movie Lincoln by Steven Spielberg with Daniel Day-Lewis's Lincoln, and they mm-hmm. talk about the Emancipation Proclamation and how Lincoln approaches the situation, this very tough thing that's breaking up the country with utmost humility. You, you look at, you know, I'm not sure if it was completely historically accurate or whatever, but you look at Lincoln, and I think almost the, the big takeaway from that is the uh, humility and the compromise and just the willing to take all the hits politically uh, from the most powerful factions in the country yes. just to make the world a better and freer place. Yes. And that's a lot different than saying that the world's problems are a hoax. Yes. You know, one who assumes responsibility, which is defined of the ability really to be responsive, is able to empathize with others. And through this display of emotional intelligence, instead of belligerence, is able to truly feel and hear what people's actual needs and concerns are, and is thus respected as a true leader. Not through force, but rather through the energy of their compassion. Yelling, being overbearing and rude only increases resistance and in the long run will return to create more harm than good. Just look at history. The domineering, brutal leaders throughout history are remembered how? Now, by history. Not very well at all. Yeah. You know, so by trying to be so forceful and powerful, they actually displayed their weakness and lack of an ability to trust and earn respect by giving it, not commanding it. That is the nature and way and expression of the great Tao. And I think uh, there's also, you know, the very important thing here is like, you know, nothing's more soft and yielding than water, yet for attacking the solid and strong, nothing is better. You know, water is a healer and water water's also can be used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look at, you know, water nourishes us, but also, you know, water... You know, the landscape of the planet is carved out by water. Yes. You know, valleys, and we see the power of storms, you know. And what about you and me? We're made, what, 97% of water? I think 70-plus percent water, right? So, uh, you know, water is the the thing of life, right? Oh, oh gosh, I'm thinking about the stranger in a strange land, Robert Heinlein, right? Remember the Water Brothers? <laughs> I've never never read that book. Oh, one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> so when Bruce Lee says, be like water, it's like, duh, Bruce Lee, I already am water. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, of course, being a martial artist, he's talking about don't, don't resist strength with strength. Flow with incoming strength. And then that allows you to unbalance a forceful attack by yielding initially and then kind of snapping back. It's kind of like the bamboo, right, in the storm. The bamboo will yield, but it snaps right back just as strong as ever. Whereas the oak, which tries to resist gets snapped in half and broken. It's like uh, Paul Atreides in Dune says, I will bend like a reed in the wind. Exactly, exactly. That, uh, without any doubt, is the nature uh, of the Tao. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to What's This Tao All About? Thank you, Dr. Carl Totten. Thank you. And uh, by the way, you can go to the website, whatsthisdao.com, and uh, throw us a little donation there via PayPal, and uh, we will send you... Uh, three different guided meditations and an episode that's never been released before about finding your talents. And uh, 
We'll come out with a new episode in two weeks. So thank you very much. Thank you.